Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. We are once again returning to our study on Nehemiah where we see God continuing to pursue the plan that has been in place from the very beginning. The plan that has been in place from the garden all the way through up to this point in time that we see in the book of Nehemiah that will continue to be in place all the way up past that to the New Testament, beyond the New Testament, all the way to the very end. God's people experiencing God's presence in God's place. That's, it's like, Matt, can it really be that easy? <laughs> the, the idea is easy. But as the people of Israel can attest, getting there is a little difficult. Staying there is a little difficult. In the book of Nehemiah, we see a man of God called to lead the people of God into following and fulfilling the plans of God that he has for his people. This morning, we're going to be looking at what it looks like when God puts a plan together. So often... It's, it's my plan, and I just say, God, this, I'm running with this. If you want to get on board, that'd be great. Maybe it's a little backwards. Um, when God answers prayer, did you know that it's still our responsibility to have a plan? Sometimes we, we don't think about that. Sometimes it's easy to kind of just stop at the answering the prayer part and assume that, well, God answered the prayer, so... I just get to show up and, and experience it, right? But what we're going to see is that God answers prayer, but in, we have the opportunity to partner with God and to, to bring our plan to that, that answered prayer. Nehemiah prays for God to do something miraculous And at the same time that he's praying, that he's coming to God, that he's fasting, that he's mourning the state of the people of Israel, he is planning out the steps that make the most sense according to Nehemiah's wisdom that is influenced by Holy Spirit, right? If we're we're looking at at our own lives, we we are, are planning out with the wisdom that God has given us saying, this is how I think this should work, but I, I want this okayed by you first. So let's look back for just a second. No, we're not going to go all the way back to the very beginning again. Um, God's people are in exile because they chose to be there. Let's, let's be clear on that. They, they chose to be there. God's people pursued their own desires instead of following God's commands, and as a result of that separation from God, they found themselves exactly where they asked to be, separated from God, away from God's place. And as a result, they find themselves in exile. They find themselves in the the nation of Babylon, 
under the rule of the king of Babylon. God places on Nehemiah the desire to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of the city. Why does Jerusalem need walls? And this goes beyond the, the idea of physical security. Okay, yeah, that we need walls so that the bandits don't come in and take our stuff. Sure, that's, that's a good reason, but there's more to it than that. Jerusalem needed walls so that the people of God could come back to their identity. They, they were in a place where they were losing their identity. The people of God were becoming Babylon. They were, they were just becoming more and more like Babylon. And so what needed to happen is the people of God needed to come out of Babylon into God's place so that they could once again take up that identity as people of God in order to fulfill the promise that God made to Abraham a whole bunch of years ago that through him, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed, that, that there was still a promise that needed to be kept. And God keeps his promises. And so in regaining their homeland, they're coming back to an understanding of who God is, what it means to be God's people, and what they are called to be. That's why they need to come home. That's why the walls need to be rebuilt. It has very little to do with physical security. That, that's important, but it's really low on the list. And last week, we heard about how bad things were in Jerusalem, how the, the streets were completely impassable, how everything was torn down. And now this week, we see what Nehemiah plans to do about it. Nehemiah 2, 1 through 9. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king, I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it that you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in, this, in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And then the king with the queen sitting beside him, beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence that I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request." So there's an important point for us to remember that is very easy to miss if we don't pay attention here. That there's a, a gap between chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Nehemiah. Four months have passed since Nehemiah received this news that Jerusalem was in a devastated state. Four months have passed, we, and we, we see the, the prayer that happened in chapter 1, right, where Nehemiah is mourning, he's crying out to God, he's taking responsibility, he's standing in the gap for his people, saying, God, forgive us. 
Four months have passed since chapter 1. Four months after Nehemiah hears about the problems. Four months after mourning, after fasting, after praying. Four months before any action is taken. Remember, we're paying attention to Nehemiah's character and his actions. So Nehemiah shows up before the king. He, remember, he's the cupbearer for the king. It's an important job. And the king sees that Nehemiah is worried. And as the king's cupbearer, the king gets worried. Is there something wrong with the wine? The important point to notice there is that the king noticed. Why did the king notice? Because Nehemiah wasn't normally upset. He wasn't normally sad. He wasn't normally in this downtrodden state. It wasn't normal for Nehemiah to be acting that way. And if we look back to verse 1 of chapter 2, it even says that he had never been sad in the king's presence before. This is important for us. If we are consistently and constantly dealing with a negative disposition, a negative attitude in our own lives, it will never be evident when there is an actual burden that exists in our hearts. Stop for a moment and ask that question of yourself. What do others think of you and your disposition? And let's set aside your pride for just a minute and think, really, what is it that people think? So Nehemiah appears noticeably burdened before the king to the point that the king inquires as to why. So after four months of praying, after prostrating himself before God, Nehemiah finally gets to share what has been on his heart. regarding the people of God going back to the place of God. And so he finally gets to share all, everything that, that's going on inside of him, and the king responds, what do you want me to do about it? That's like the perfect scenario. It doesn't get a whole lot better than this. I, I was considering what we know about Babylonian kings and, and kind of the, the situation that came up. And I know it's not Babylonian, it's the Persian king that we know of for, um, out of the book of Esther. And there is one specific event that we knew of that where if Esther came before the king and the king refused to put out his scepter, that just coming before the king was enough for her to die, for her to be executed. That, that choice that was made, that, that, that's how legalistic, that's how dangerous it was to, to bring your own concern, your own worry to the court of the king. I think it's probably safe to say that there is a similar feeling to the king of Babylon. And I would say that there's probably a similar feeling of, man, I sure hope this works out okay and that I get to keep my head to Nehemiah when he shows up and says, 
You asked, so I guess I need to tell you why I feel sad. And so how does Nehemiah respond when the king says, what do you want me to do? He prays. Wait, wasn't that what he was doing all of chapter one? (laughs) Didn't we get that all taken care of already? Hasn't he been praying over the last four months? Like, isn't he prayed up? Yeah. He was. Yes, he he had been praying, but he also knew that he needed to pause, that this moment of all moments was not the time for him to all of a sudden say, I got this. And maybe some of us could just go home with this right now. Pray before you start speaking. Maybe we just finish right here. I don't know. Um, Stop and consider before the words come out of your mouth. Prayer was such a consistent and constant habit for Nehemiah that he stayed connected to God even while speaking to the king. Sometimes when we find ourselves in in high-pressure situations, in scary situations, in things that we're not used to, we just start reacting we, we just leave it to instinct. We, we just kind of do our own thing. Nia doesn't want to get in the way of what may be the very most important conversation that he ever has in his life. And so instead, he goes to God in prayer before starting himself. Nehemiah is so familiar with what it means to abide in the presence of God, that even though he is in front of the most important man in the entire nation, and and you could arguably say the entire world, he still recognizes that there's one who's greater. And this wasn't some like really weird, awkward pause where like he's talking to the king and Nehemiah says, oh God, what words would you like me to speak to the king today? You know, it, it wasn't this thing where the king's looking at Nehemiah like, are you on drugs or something? Like, what is, is happening here? No, it's, it's a matter of, of turning in, in his spirit to God, saying, God, I need help. Did you know that's a prayer? God, I need help in this moment. I need help in this moment because you are in control of this moment. Who is in control of your moments? What an awesome reality check that can be. As you are going through your day, regardless of where you find yourself in the coming week, I want you to pause and recall who is in control of your moment. That thing that seems impossible to overcome, that thing that is so difficult, that thing that hurts, that thing that is is so beyond anything you could ever comprehend, God is in control of that moment. And when the king asks what Nehemiah wants, Because of his four months of praying and preparation, Nehemiah says, oh, glad you asked. And then we have 
the list. And I kind of just in my mind picture like Nehemiah popping out this scroll and the scroll like rolls down the, the stairs of the throne room and he's like, let's go. I'm going to need some time off work, please. I'm going to need you to take, uh, to take some of my friends and so they need some time off work too. I need you to write some letters to some heads of state that says it's okay for me to come through their state so that we don't start a war. Don't want any of that happening. I'm going to need some wood. And by some, I mean a lot of wood. We need wood for the gates, wood for the walls. And oh, I need you to build me a house too. Um, just that sort of thing. And the king says, sure. Nehemiah was doing way, way more than just praying. Nehemiah had a plan. What if Nehemiah showed up and, and he, he presented his, his concern to the king and the king says, what do you want me to do about it? And Nehemiah's like, I'm not really sure. What do you think? Let me get back to you in a couple of weeks. I'll put something together, see what you think. You can sign off on it and it'll be fine. Anybody in sales knows when somebody's ready to sign, you get them to sign right there. The king was ready to sign. And so Nehemiah puts the, the agreement in front and says, this is what I want you to do. This is what I have planned for you. One important point for us to recognize here. Sometimes it could get a little... Okay, I found this Siri, what are you doing? <laughs> Sometimes it could get a little... Maybe we would start thinking a little too much of ourselves where we say, oh, well, God ha has placed this burden on my life and so I have this plan. If I don't come up with a plan, then God's not going to be able to do what it is that he needs to do. That's, that's not how it works. God's plans aren't going to be thwarted by my lack of one. My opportunity to join God in his plan will be. Does that make sense? We, we are not going to get in the way of God doing what God is going to do. That is thinking way too much of how great Matt is. But my opportunity to partner with God and, and what, again, is for Nehemiah, one of the most amazing experiences of his life, his opportunity to partner with God could potentially be thwarted by whether or not he chooses to have a plan ready. And so Nehemiah, uh, chapter 2, 9 through 10. So I went to the governors of trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king also sent an army of officers and cavalry with me. Nehemiah gets an army to go with him. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. So here we have some new characters getting introduced. And sometimes it's hard to figure out you know, if a character is a good guy or a bad guy, right? But one thing that we can probably bank on is that with a name like Sanballat the Horonite, um, not, not really a good guy. You know, I think that's just safe to say. Um, maybe it's just me. But so here comes Nehemiah with an army, by the way, um, back to the land. And these two guys who, who aren't Israelites, they start to get worried. Why, why does that matter? Why do we care? He's got an army. I'm sure it'll be fine. 
We care because Nehemiah is in favor of this endeavor. The, the king is in favor of this endeavor. God is in favor of this endeavor. And yet there's still opposition. So you're telling me that when God is in favor of something that's going to take place in my life, when there, there's something that, that God is bringing about in my life, that there's still opposition that's going to be experienced, and everybody says, it, yeah. In fact, the more in, step with you, the more in step you are with the Lord, the more opposition you will receive. Guarantee it. 11.16, it says, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do to Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one that I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. And then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up, by, up the valley by night, examining the wall. And finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials didn't know where I had gone or what I was doing because I had yet because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. <laughs> what, what struck me was this. It, I mean, it's not like a, a short little five-minute drive from Babylon to Jerusalem. And yet we have a whole group of people that went with Nehemiah, and they have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> they have no idea what they have signed up for. They, they are there, and it, sure, there's probably people that are there that he's speaking with as well that were already there, but there's a whole group of people that are like, you said to come, so we came. The other thing that I think is important for us to recognize here is it's very possible that Nehemiah has never seen the city of Jerusalem. Very possible. So Jerusalem to him is something that he's heard about. It's, it's something that maybe he's seen drawings of, I don't know. But given his age and given when, when the people of Israel were taken to exile, it, it seems very likely that this was not something that he's seen before. And so I just kind of imagine him receiving this burden from the Lord, and he's, he's been given this burden to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and now he gets there, and he's like, wow, this is a lot. This is, this is a lot for us to, to get done here. God has given Nehemiah the vision, but now Nehemiah has to sit down and figure, okay, how do we do this? What are the, the specifics of, of what needs to get done here? This is, this is a fixer-upper. Nehemiah gets the big picture outlook, and then he develops the plan. and He says, okay, this is how we're going to accomplish this project. 17 through 20, it says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. This is Nehemiah speaking to the, the people. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and we will no, will no longer be in disgrace. 
I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this that you are doing? They asked, are you rebelling against the king? And I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Nehemiah gets the people together. He projects a vision of what it is, what the project should be going forward. And the people get to work. He mobilized the people because he trusted what God had promised. He trusted the, the plan that, that God had inspired in him. So what does this mean for us? So what, right? That's the, the English red-letter comment on my, my papers in high school, right? So what? I got an A in English, by the way. It's just, I had a hard teacher. Uh, so what? What do, we, what do we take from this? What is this? Well, how does this impact us today? How do we go out from here and, and live our life? The first thing that we, we see as we look at this chapter, years of consistent integrity is what it takes to acquire favor from someone else. You can't show up on day one and have the king notice that you're sad. There has to be years of integrity, of, of practicing the, the words that you speak. What else? The more that you prioritize scheduled times of prayer in your life, the more naturally you will pursue spontaneous times of prayer. Why was it that Nehemiah was so readily able when the king asked him, what is it that you want, for Nehemiah to immediately turn and say, God, you have to help here. Because there is a habit that was already established. There is a relationship already established. There was a, a a conversation that had already been started in those four months where that was just second nature for Nehemiah to say, well, I'm not doing this on my own. That has to be our response as well. There's nothing incompatible about praying for God's direction while also planning your next steps. That's, that's another point for us to take, that, that we can plan our next steps. You can plan for the next season in your life while at the same time seeking God's direction. Because very often, I've seen it in my own life, I've seen it in other people's lives. If I'm going forward in a direction that, that God doesn't want me to go in, he's going to stop it. And sometimes God not stopping it is God saying, yeah, that's fine. So there's nothing incompatible about praying for God's direction and planning for the next season of your life. Next, we need to anticipate resistance any time you plan on doing something for the kingdom of God. Why should we anticipate that? Because the king of this earth does not want that to happen. That, that's, that's it. it. It's not a difficult thing. 
Satan, the devil, the enemy of your soul, does not want the kingdom of God to grow, does not want you to flourish in the kingdom of God. And so if you are going to do something to further the kingdom of God, he is going to try and stop it. And finally, you risk nothing if you ambitiously attempt something that God has commanded you to do. There's there's nothing at risk. If God is, is directing you in your steps, just like he directed Nehemiah, was it scary for Nehemiah? Yeah. But at the end of the day, was he, was he in danger? No. God, God was directing everything that, was, that came out of Nehemiah's mouth. He risked nothing if you ambitiously attempt something that God has commanded you to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us boldness, that you would give us direction, God, that you would cause us to live lives of prayer, live lives that that come to you, that, that seek your direction, but at the same time, God, that we would, would use the wisdom that you have given us, that we would form plans, that we would, would partner with you because you've given us that opportunity. God, we want to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 